If you brought a Bible, go please to the Gospel according to Matthew, the sixth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. If you don't have a Bible, you can use an app or uh, your cell phone there or read along with us on the screen. Today we began a new sermon series, uh, which I have entitled, On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Can you say that with me? On Earth As It Is In Heaven. My charge this morning from the Lord, I believe, is to impart to you a burden For the transformation and revival of our city. And so I want you to listen this morning with that purpose in mind. As we read the words of Jesus as he taught us to pray. Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Jesus speaking. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who are our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for, your, for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. I thank you that you gave me the opportunity to be in your house this morning. And I thank you that you gave each person here the same opportunity I am convinced beyond the shadow of any doubt that those who are in this room this morning are gathered here by divine appointment. No one is here this morning by accident. No one is here even by routine. But today you have made an appointment with us. I ask for the grace and the anointing to deliver my soul to this people. And I ask that you would anoint their hearing, that they might receive the word as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Let's do that a little bit stronger next time. The church said, Amen. Amen. All right, there you are, Kingsway. You may be seated this morning. This morning I come to deliver a burden. There are two types of burdens that you and I can receive. There is the first type that weighs us down, makes us incapable of moving forward. That kind of burden never comes from the Lord. There's another kind of burden that God gives, and this this one is from the Lord, and this burden pushes you forward. And often as I uh, teach the students in the Bible school that the burden is the greatest indication of what your calling is and what your purpose is from God. If God gives you a burden, uh, for instance, for the preaching of His Word, then it's very likely He's called you to preach. And I believe this morning that I'm speaking to a few of you to whom God has given that very exact and specific call for the preaching of His Word.
And I believe God has laid a burden on my heart, and it is a burden uh, that our church has been given and must bear if we will accept it, if we will receive it. It's really a burden that God is placing all over the churches of Beeville and this Coastal Bend region. And it seems as though maybe it begins like a trickle, a drip and a drop here and there. But more and more there is an urgency in my spirit, which I believe you will bear witness with. An urgency to pray and act as the church should pray and as the church should act. And what I mean by act is not putting on a performance, but that the church should be the church in this century. That a day has come in which the church can no longer afford to be sitting on the sidelines and watching the world go by. We can no longer afford to see life as it is, but we must take our responsibility as members of the kingdom of God to invade our community with the powerful effect of prayer and to see God manifest His kingdom in the earth as He desires. In my life, I have uh, seen firsthand what I believe are uh, citywide or nationwide uh, or uh, um, regionwide transformations on a couple of occasions. Uh, recently, I traveled to uh, the city of Seoul, Korea, and I have shared this with some of you before. And while I was there, we attended uh, some of the uh, prayer services of the largest church in the world, nearly a million members strong. The Yoido Full Gospel Church, one of the most impacting moments of that experience was a, a watch night prayer meeting in which 12,000 or so people were gathered on a Friday night uh, to pray until midnight for uh, the continued blessing of God upon the nation. And I remember uh, witnessing in Seoul, Korea, after having traveled as a missionary for uh, to some 20 or 25 or so countries, that I, I noticed something there that was unusual to me. As we walked around that city, I noticed an, uh, uh, an, act, act, uh, an absence of fear, tension. There was uh, no apprehension on my part as normally a tourist would feel. And there was a, a sense of peace in that community, a peace over that city and over that people. And I began to investigate the matter because I'm always curious as to the why behind the what. If there's chaos in your life, you should be asking why. Say amen this morning. And if there's if there's peace somewhere, if you see something, an attribute in somebody or some place that you want to see in your life, then you should also be asking why. What, what are they doing that's producing this? So I started to ask why. Why is there peace in Seoul, Korea? So I started to study and, uh, and go kind of back in my mind. I said, well, you know, in the 50s, the United States, we uh, uh, as a nation went there and, and were part of a, a, uh, a conflict that delivered South Korea from communism. So maybe it's the presence of the United States military. And of course, we have a great military base there. I thought maybe it's the presence of the military that has produced peace in this land in this city, in this nation. And then I started thinking about the fact that we have a great many military bases in the United States and it hasn't produced that kind of peace. I thought, scratch that off the list. 
Then I started to think, well, you know, maybe uh, it's the fact that South Koreans or the Koreans are just tranquil, peaceful people. And uh, maybe just by nature and genetics, they're a, a calm bunch of folks. But then I realized that when I thought about North Korea and, uh, and uh, the dictator up there and the saber rattling, I thought, no, maybe that's not it either. It's not necessarily that the Koreans are more peaceful people. But then I started to uh, uh, attend this watch night prayer meeting where 12,000 people were praying out loud. And it seemed to me as though they had a tap on the presence of God. Like they could turn it on and off at will. As they uh, expressed their worship and adoration to the living God. And they prayed for their city. And I recall thinking uh, how specific their prayers were. They, I, I noted that they prayed every time they prayed for the pastor. And I thought, I'm going to take that back to Kingsway Church. we got to have that. And we do now in our prayer meeting. And then I noted how they started to pray against uh, immorality in their community and in their city. And I began to realize that it wasn't the military presence. And it wasn't the, the type of people that lived there. But it was the fact that there was a praying church. That had taken over, as it were, the airwaves. And had made a dominant force of the kingdom of God in that place. And I came home with a burden for my city and for my country. I remember also traveling through the Amazon jungle in, in uh, uh, um, South America, in Peru, when uh, we would take a barge ride 50 miles down uh, up the Amazon River, and uh, 50 hours, I should say, not 50 miles, but 50 hours by barge into the, into the jungle. And we came into a village, and uh, as was our, our routine, the team, we would go house to house visiting the folks and inviting the children to children's ministry. And we went into these homes. In every house in the village where there was a baby, the baby had been running a high fever for several days. And the mothers were becoming panicked with fear as to what this uh, epidemic was. And I remember uh, telling the team, uh, a few of uh, uh, students of 15 to 18 years old, and I said to them, look, we're going to take authority over this city. We're going to take authority over uh, over this village, and we're going to pray Every hour on the hour. And we're going to plead the blood of Jesus over this village until we see this epidemic stopped. And so every hour on the hour, we would go out to the green in the middle of the village and we would begin to pray. And I can recall that as we prayed, we would hear the heckles and the laughter of people mocking the praying of of the body of Christ. And within a few days, as we went back house to house, We began to inquire about those babies. The mothers would say to us, it's an amazing thing what happened. They said, uh, you know, the doctor can't come by here for several more weeks. But just uh, a few days ago, after you guys arrived, the the fever began to break. And our babies are absolutely well. They are healed. The entire village of babies was healed. Because of the power of God's people in prayer. America is the result of prayer. Prayer so determined, so concerted that it made, uh, uh, it, it brought about the birth of a nation that has blessed the world for, for centuries now. 
But unfortunately, that hedge of prayer has begun to come down in our nation. The church has become preoccupied with itself. Christians have become preoccupied with the affairs of everyday life. And we have become more concerned with what we have or don't have. And who we know or don't know. And and all of those things have begun to distract us from a higher purpose for which Jesus died. There is a greater thing that God desires for us to do. And friends, I look forward to heaven with all my heart. My, my parents, uh, tomorrow will be the year anniversary of my father's departure to heaven. And before that, two years, my mom. And so heaven is very real to me. Just a couple days ago, we buried one of the members of, of our congregation. And, and I know that heaven is full of my family and it's full of our family. And I long to be in heaven. But you know what? It's more than just waiting to get to heaven. God wants more for you and I than just sitting on the side of the railway station waiting for our train to come. No church. God wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants to manifest his kingdom in the earth. Somebody ought to get excited this morning that God doesn't just want us to sit around waiting for him to come back. He wants us to bring his power and his authority to bear in our lives and in in our community. And so I speak to you as a man who is not from Beeville, but as a man whom God has given a burden for this city. And I speak to you as one set on fire for the transformation of this city and of this region. And I ask you to join me in that cause. What would the Coastal Bend region look like? If the church would be the church, what would Beville look like if the church would be the church? If the church would lay hold of heaven in its prayers, what would this city look like if the church left the walls of the building and went out and invaded the streets and neighborhoods of this city with the grace and peace of the love of our God exactly what that looks like you and I can only imagine but friends I have I have been given a burden to work for that and to pray for that until we see it manifest in our day and God is calling us as a church and those of you who are our guests this morning I believe you're here by God's divine appointment to receive a divine instruction from the Lord, a burden from God himself to say to us that if we will pray, if we will pray for our, for a stranger the way we pray for ourselves, if we will intercede for someone we don't know the way we intercede for someone we do know, that we can see the, the glory of God in our day and in our generation. The story is told of the Welsh Revival. That when the Lord brought such renewal and revival to uh, Wales, that there was a, a, a powerful move of God in that nation. Repentance swept over the nation. And, uh, and they began to give the judges white gloves because they had no more cases to try. 
The, the nation had been so transformed that only, uh, oh, oh, only, only the judges could sit around and wait for somebody to commit a crime. Imagine what would happen in Beville if the police had to wait, wait around for somebody to commit a crime. I, I, I need some faith in the house of God this morning. He said, Pastor, you're preaching a pipe dream. You're, you're talking about something that's impossible. No, friends, I'm talking about the answer to the Lord's prayer. He said, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I read in a book the other day the definition of a movement. A movement is a group of people. United in a common purpose. Who believe that they can create the future rather than wait for it to happen. Let me say that again. A movement is a group of people united in a common purpose. Who believe that they can create the future rather than wait for it to happen. Well, let's see if we could have a movement. Is there a group of people? That, that was so weak. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to give you another chance on that one. Is there a group of people? You know, the Bible said that God told Ezekiel, I sought a man who would stand before me and I found no one. Is it, is it so that in Beeville today, God would say, I sought a church to stand before me and I found none? Come on, Beeville. It's time for us to say we will be that church. We will be that man. We will stand and we will fight. We will pray. We will intercede. We will be that man who will stand for God and before God. Do we have a people with a common purpose? The purpose of seeing an invasion of God's presence in our city. Do you believe that we can change the future rather than wait for it to happen? You know, the Bible said that we call those things that be not as though they were. The church, when it prays, can create the future that it wants, rather than wait for that future to happen. You know, the great mistake of the church in our day is that we are waiting on the Lord. Don't you know? That's the most spiritual statement of the church in the 21st century. We're just waiting on God. When are you going to witness? I'm just waiting on the Lord. When are you going to start a small group in your home? I'm just waiting on the Lord. Uh, when are you going to uh, uh, pray for somebody else? I'm just waiting on the Lord. When are you going to go to the mission field? I'm just waiting on the Lord. And you know, this waiting on the Lord is starting to sound like an excuse more than a theology. I think it could be that, in fact, God is saying, I'm just waiting on the church. I'm just waiting on a man or a woman who will stand up and be my representative on the earth. Come on, if somebody, if God's waiting for us, it's time to stand up and deliver. It's time to be the church. It's time to be the people of God. 
I believe in waiting on the Lord. But friend, God has given us divine instruction. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is his commission, his command. There's no weight in it. We use waiting on God as an excuse for not obeying God. And I doubt that will wash on the day when we give an answer to him. So where do we begin? Where do we begin as a church? The answer is right here in the prayer of Jesus. You see, God will do nothing for America except in answer to prayer. I need you to know this. I need you to buy into this this morning. That what God is going to do in the 21st century, He's not going to do through the Democrats or the Republicans. Just buy into that, all right? Neither party is the answer for America. Oh, Pastor's Green Party. No, I'm not any of those parties. I'm just telling you, politicians are not the answer that America needs today. The answer is not education. I believe in education. I want all of the young people in our church to go on to get a PhD. I want them to be the best they can in their education. But that is not the answer for America. The answer for America is not uh, more, uh, more uh, sports teams. It's not more, uh, more uh, uh, um, uh, music. It's not more uh, symphonies. It's not more orchestras. The answer for America is not more pop stars. The answer for America is a church on fire and a church on its knees. A church that knows how to pray. We have all kinds of churches today. There's cool church. There's young church. There's old church, traditional church, classic church. There is dead church, alive church. There's every kind of church. But we must be a praying church. We must be a church that knows how to get a hold of heaven. Jesus here taught us to pray. I just want to give you a, a brief summary of the Lord's Prayer because we're going to spend some time with it over the next few weeks. And so this morning is just a, an opportunity to whet your appetite and to give to you a burden uh, from the Lord. There are five parts to this prayer. The Lord's Prayer was not given to us so that we could repeat it. And you know that very clearly because if you read the context uh, uh, and the few verses before uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus says not to come to God with vain repetition. So it's not about how many times you say the Lord's Prayer. Jesus, rather with the Lord's Prayer, gave us a pattern for how we could pray. He taught us to pray. I'm so glad God is a teacher. Let me just encourage somebody this morning. You might say, preacher, I don't know anything about this faith stuff. I don't know anything about religion, about Christianity, about the Bible. Let me tell you this. If you will give your life to Christ, you will be instantly assigned the Holy Spirit as your teacher. And the Holy Spirit is a good and patient teacher. Some of you, if you were assigned to teach other believers, you would give up on them in the first day. 
But the Holy Spirit is a good and patient teacher. He will stick with you, and if you blow it, he'll say, all right, let's start over, and let's learn this one. And you blow it again, he'll say, all right, let's start over, and we're going to learn this one because he wants you to win. He wants you to succeed. That is the Holy Spirit's objective, is for you to be a success as a believer. So he will teach you what you don't know. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, and he gives us five parts in the prayer. Are you ready? If you're going to take notes, jot these down real quick. He first says, he gives us adoration. Then he gives us petition. Then he gives us confession. Then he gives us intercession. And then he gives us adoration again. All right? I went real fast through that, but I'm going to do it again. Ready? Adoration. Then petition. Then confession. Then intercession. And then petition or uh, adoration again so let's say that together this morning adoration petition confession intercession adoration all right i want you to think of it like a sandwich all right you have two pieces of bread and they're both adoration you start and you finish every prayer with adoration what is adoration well, it's, the, it's a, an Old Testament, New Testament word. Maybe you're not too familiar with. Let's try the word worship. We begin and end every prayer with worship. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. He taught us to pray that when we come before the presence of God, we come in with a heart of worship. Are there any worshipers in the house of God? Maybe you don't know the word worship because you're a 21st century fellow and you're not real sure what worship is. Let me try it a different way. A worship is bragging on God. How many of you can brag on God? You see, this is a powerful weapon, worship is. Number one, when you begin to worship, it confuses the devil. The Bible said that when the nation of Israel would go out to war, who do you think was on the front lines? I hate to say it, but the musicians were on the front lines. The Levites, the singers, the trumpet players. What? You don't put the artists on the front line. But God put the worshipers on the front line. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that if we're going to have an invasion of heaven and earth in Beeville, it's going to begin with the worshipers on the front lines. So here's what I need you to know. If nobody shows up to worship, you worship like there's nobody else in the room. If nobody else sings, you sing. If nobody else lifts their hands, you lift your hands. You make your life a life of worship. Most of the time when we come into prayer, we come into prayer asking. The moment we land on our knees, Lord, I need your help. I need you to get my bills paid. I need a new job. I need another husband. I need another wife. Okay? And, and on and on, we go on right for the need. But God says, wait a minute. If you're going to come into my presence, I want you to learn how to come in. I want you to come in worshiping me. So when you get ready to start praying, you go into prayer like this and just start bragging on God. Say, Lord, you are good. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are so loving. 
God, you are the best father that I, that I could ever imagine having. Lord, you know I had a bad day, but I, it would have been worse if I didn't have you in my life. You just start bragging on the Lord. You know, I'll give you a little recipe here. If you ever get angry and you're about to have one of those atomic bomb arguments in your house, just go and get by yourself in a room, close the door for a few minutes, and start bragging on God. You say, Pastor, when I'm mad, I don't want to brag on God. But you see, when you start worshiping, it confuses the devil. It says, uh, uh, the devil starts to think, what, what's going on here? I remember the, the day that they diagnosed my mother with cancer. We came into the room and, and uh, the doctors had given her a diagnosis. And so I'm sure the enemy was ready to dance all over that situation. But we gathered around and we began to sing, He is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And don't you know the presence of God filled that hospital room and all of a sudden cancer was not a, was not a problem. Fear was not a problem. Death was not a problem. Am I talking to the church this morning? Do you have something to brag on God? about has he done anything in your life worship him because when you worship him it not only confuses the devil worship also focuses your heart it pulls all your emotions together we don't know how to pray when we begin to worship we start to realize that God is bigger than my problem God is bigger than my circumstance. God is bigger than my setback. God is bigger than my past. God is bigger than my sin. When you start bragging on God, you come into his presence with that, with that adoration. Even when your flesh doesn't feel like it sooner or later, your flesh will catch up to your spirit. That's why when you come into church some mornings, I see you because I have eyes in the back of my head. I see you come in grumpy sometimes. You're, you're half asleep. You're not really into worship. And then all of a sudden, you just start swaying back and forth, not even singing yet. You're just swaying back and forth, and then you'll mutter a word or two, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the lyrics just start flowing out of your mouth, and then your hands go up, and before you know it, all that stuff that you were worried about is gone because you worship the Lord, because you have come into his presence with singing and with adoration. Adoration, petition. Now we start asking. Jesus makes three petitions. And they're not at all like the ones we're used to making. He says, let your kingdom, he says, hallowed be your name. That's the first petition. God be glorified. Friend, if you will start praying and asking God, about the matter with God's glory in mind, it'll change your perspective. If you say, Lord, I'm asking you to be glorified as I go out and look for a job this week. All of a sudden now, you and God are partners for his glory. Then he makes a second petition. He says, let your kingdom come. Come and reign. Come and rule. In this circumstance, in this situation. And let your will be done. These three petitions are powerful because they make God the center of our prayer. 
and make God the center of our request. So often when we pray, we pray amiss. The Bible tells us we don't know how to pray. We ask and we do not receive because we don't know how to pray. We're asking for the wrong things. We have to elevate our prayer life to go above and beyond our selfish concerns and interests to those of the kingdom of God and to the will of God. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. And then we have the third section of the prayer. And now we have the, the, uh, one more petition that is, uh, give us this day our daily bread. This is now, we have, uh, we have a, a prayer of petition. And now we go to a prayer of confession. And he says, forgive us our debts. He's confessing to God that there is a need for forgiveness in my life. I am now submitting myself to God's rule and authority in my life. When you confess your sin to God on a daily basis, friend, it gives you the opportunity to walk clean as a whistle every single day. Sin will block your prayer life. It is an infallible truth. Sin will hinder your prayer life because when there is unconfessed sin in our lives, the enemy will use it against us. He'll say, why should you be praying right now? Why should God listen to you? You know how you spoke to your wife this morning before you left work? You know how you yelled at the kids before they went to school? And the enemy will accuse you so that uh, he'll use that against you so that you don't have the faith to pray. But when you go and you say, Lord, I blew it today. I blew it royally. I messed everything up. It, it Just me and my big mouth, Lord, if I could just keep it under control. If I could just stop saying the things that I, that I say. And you just start confessing to God. All of a sudden now, you and God are lined up. Because the Bible said that if you will confess your sin to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. So he is waiting for us to confess our sins to God. And then he says, and uh, forgive those uh, who have trespassed against us. As we forgive those who trespass against us, there's the element there of intercession. Now I'm standing in the place for somebody else and I'm asking for mercy, God's mercy on behalf of others. And then he prays and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then we have that last bit of adoration. And he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is a pattern that Jesus gave the church for effective and potent prayer. Now this morning, as I prepare to uh, draw you and call you to the altar, I want to invest in your mind these petitions of Jesus. He asked and he taught us to pray that God's kingdom would come to the earth and that God's will would be done. What is the defining aspect of heaven that Jesus wanted us to know about? When Jesus thought of heaven, and he's a good expert on the matter because he came from there. So the one who's teaching us to pray this prayer has been where he's asking us to pray about being. Jesus comes from heaven to earth. And so he teaches earthlings how to bring heaven to earth. 
He's a he's a he's an authority on the subject. And so he tells us that there is an attribute in heaven. There is a a a, a policy in place that makes heaven heaven. And that policy is that in heaven, God's will is always done. In heaven, God's will is always done. It's done immediately. And it's done exactly as he instructs. So here's the key, church. If you and I want heaven on earth, guess what we have to do? We have to become a people who say, God, your will be done. Many of the struggles that you have in your life are there because you have not submitted to the will of God. I promise you, friend, if you will submit to God's will in your finances, you'll have the blessing of God in your finances. That was a weak amen for a church that knows better. If you will submit to God's will in your finances, God will bless your finances. If you will submit to God's will in your relationship, God will bless your relationship. So if you're living with someone who's not your spouse, God says, that's out of my will. I want you to get married or split. But I love him. But I love her. I want God to bless this preacher. I just want God to bless this. He will not bless it if it's not his will. His will is for marriage. That's a hard truth for the American church today. Because we want to have it our way. But God's will only follows, or God's blessing only follows God's will. So if you're living with someone that's not your spouse today, God is saying, look, if you want my full, unreserved blessing on this relationship, you have to get it right. The same is true for other types of relationships. Maybe you are married, but in your marriage, there is not a walking together in agreement. It's him and her versus each other. And God says, if you want my blessing on this, you've got to do my will. You've got to lay yourself down. And if we want God's blessing on America, America must do God's will. You say, Pastor, how can I get God's blessing on my life? How can I get God to do those things that he's promised in his word for me? Let me tell you, friend, I'm 35 years old. This summer I turned 35. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Kind of left me in a daze for a few days. I thought, I'm closer to 40 than I'll ever be to 20. (laughs) But in those 35 years, I have given... Just about every one of those years to the Lord. 
I started preaching my first, my first uh, sermon beside a pulpit at the age of seven. My whole life has been his. I've had people tell me, some of my professors told me, Isaac, if you don't go to law school, you're wasting your life going into the ministry. I've had people tell me, you, you live a, a boring life. Friend, there's nothing boring about the life God has given me. For a little boy that grew up in Shote, Texas, I've been able to sit in the, pre- in the presence of the President of the United States. I've been able to sit in the presence of ambassadors. I have walked on the Great Wall of China, stood at the foot of the pyramids. I have, I have stood in front of Buckingham Palace. I've crossed the ocean several times. I've been on six out of seven continents. The cold one I'm not really interested in. And over and over and over again, God has let me know that those who do His will will have His blessing. So I can stand here this morning and tell you that God will not waste your life if you're struggling with God and trying to decide whether or not to serve Him or not, friend. His way is best. His way is perfect. He will not waste your life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This morning I want to conclude by making this invitation to some of you who are in this place this morning who have not made Jesus the Lord of your life. Do you want to know the peace of God? You can only know it through His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you want to know the forgiveness of your sins? Friend, there's nothing like having a clean conscience. Knowing that your past is dealt with. And that your future is in the hands of a good God. Friend, that can be yours this morning through simple faith in Jesus Christ. He says if you will confess your sin to God, He he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And I have an assumption this morning that there are some of you in this room who do not know Jesus as your Lord. You're far from Him, but you're here this morning Because there's a hunger on the inside of your spirit, of your soul, saying, I need God. And today, God, because he loves you, drew you to his house. He's calling you to himself. He's telling you, come to me. Come to me, I'll change you. That part of you, you can't change on your own. I'll change it. I'll make it new. I'll give you peace and I'll give you joy that lasts. And Jesus alone can do that. And he died on the cross to secure it for you. For he paid the penalty that you and I deserve for our sin because our sin had separated us from God. But Jesus died on the cross to bring sinners to God. And he loves you this morning. And he calls you to himself. And he says, how long will you go? How many sermons will it take before you'll answer yes to Jesus? This is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Would you answer his call? Will you say yes to him? I'm going to ask you to stand, congregation, please. With your heads bowed. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, would you just begin to pray? 
I'm going to make a couple of altar calls this morning. This first one is for our friends this morning who would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Lord. But I want to this morning. I need his forgiving, his, his grace in my life. If you would say, Pastor, this morning, I feel God is calling me. He's telling me to come to him, to come to Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that if there is any within the sound of my voice this morning who do not know you as their Savior, a young man, a young lady, a man or woman who would say this morning, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. I want to be sure of it. I pray this morning that you would invade their heart with faith. That there would be a sense of the fact that you're drawing and calling them to yourself. And I pray that you would bring them to the knowledge of their sin and and to the need of repentance. That you would give them the assurance of knowing that you will receive them if they come. I ask that in Jesus' name.